0: Psalm chapter 32 and we're going to talk about the problem of the ages, the sin problem. Sin problem. I may begin by saying that we're living in a difficult time for the church and living in a different time for Christianity. Back in the 1990s, and this is just kind of my commentary, back in the 1990s, There was a movement that really came from, I believe, the world out there that said, if you'll just change methodology, if you'll just change your method, then you'll be more attractive. And so churches began to tweak and figure out how they could change the methods that we have in reaching people. And there were churches that tried all kinds of wild and crazy things. Uh, Some of those things worked and some did not. And so it began a kind of a slide where churches began to experiment with methodology. But today something different and more dangerous is happening. And that is there's a movement out there where people are saying, if the church would just change its message. Change its message into something that is more attractive. And so there is a springing up of churches that are trying to appeal to a social justice kind of gospel. And I'm just here to say that the old time gospel is what we need to preach. Though we're living in a time where some want to change the message, you and I know that the real problem is not what somebody else has done to you, not what somebody else has done to a people group, but the real problem is what you've done to a holy God. And that's the sin problem. And that's what Psalm chapter 32 is talking about. Psalm 32 is David giving his commentary on the sin problem. Now someone defines sin like this. It will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will cost you more than you want to pay. It will require of you more than you want to give. I believe that's a good commentary on sin. Now, talking about Psalm 32, David doesn't really uh, sugarcoat this. Uh, David is talking about personal sin, but I believe also corporate sin. And so in Psalm 32, David is sharing about the sin problem. Now the word sin is found 470 times in the Bible in some form. We talk about that word harmatia which means to simply miss the mark. means to fall short. But in 470 different times the Bible declares there is this thing called sin that we have to deal with. Now Psalm 32 is one of seven, one of seven uh, penitential psalms, one of seven psalms where David is pleading for repentance. Now, we've been looking at the book of Psalms and uh, many of the psalms we love to sing. Like last week, Psalm 24, Who is the King of Glory? And we love to hear that proclaimed and sung. Uh, Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Thy name in all the earth. And we think about great psalms that are put to music. Ain't nobody wants to sing this one. (laughs) The reason why is because it deals with the sin problem. Now I want to tell you, man may call it a mistake, but God says it's sin. Man may say it's just a lifestyle, but God says it's sin. Man may say it's simply my choice, but God says it's sin. No way around it. Ever since Adam and Eve, we've been on this downhill spiral. Someone was doing uh, their lineage their family tree and you know there's all kinds of websites out there where you can find out who you're related to I was always scared to do that (laughs) I just knew my family was bank robbers probably and you know half of them locked up in jail maybe but I I heard about someone that did his lineage and said well I can save you time he said you got a uh, farmer back there who was crooked and said, "Who's that?" And said Adam. And then you got a sailor back there who went bad, and that was Noah. That's our heritage. That's who we are. So let's look at Psalm chapter 32, and let me just read verses one through 11. Psalm 32: "How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered." How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time where, when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach Him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy all you who are upright in heart. And so that is Psalm 32, one of seven. Of the Psalms of Repentance. Now in Psalm chapter 51, if you would look at Psalm chapter 51, verse 13, it's another one of the psalms of repentance. Psalm 51, 13, David says, Then will I teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Psalm 51.13, David makes a pledge. David says, God, if You will forgive me, God, if You will take away my sin, I promise you, I'm going to teach sinners your ways. The fulfillment of Psalm 51.13 is Psalm 32. That's it. And so David's keeping his word in Psalm 32. He's saying, God, I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. Now, this may be frightening, but as a Baptist preacher, you know most Baptist preachers have three points. I've got six today. (laughs) Alright? I promise to get you out on time. Six. Six. Let me share with you six different facts about the sin problem. Number one, look at the cleansing of sin bringing a blessing. Alright? The cleansing of sin is a blessing. And notice that David says in verse number one, how blessed. David's saying that I'm a blessed man because my sin is forgiven. There is a joy, there is a thrill, there is an excitement in being forgiven. When you and I feel that sin just lifted off, there's a burden taken away. We love to sing the old hymn, burdens are lifted at Calvary. At Calvary, my sin was washed away. So there's joy here. David says, I am a blessed man. Now why is He so blessed? Well, verse number 1. God says, I'm going to cover your sin. Do you see that? Whose sin is covered? Have you ever been to Waffle House? Ever had the hash browns there? You know, you go to Waffle House, you don't get plain hash browns. You want them smothered, covered, slathered. I mean, you want it all on there. They'll do cheese. They'll do onions. They'll do um, chili on there. I mean, they just put everything in the world on these hash browns. You don't even see the hash browns for all the covering. Then you need a bottle of Pepto or Tums after you had all that. I like Waffle House because I can see the cook cooking my food. That always makes me feel better. But David says, God will cover our sin. The Message Bible in verse number 1 says this, Count yourself lucky, how happy you must be. You get a fresh start, your slates wiped clean. Oh, I love that. Your slate wiped clean. Well, God also will not count our sin. I want you to look in verse number two at a word. In the New American Standard Bible, in verse number two, you find the word impute. Impute. Interesting word. The word impute means to count against. It's a bookkeeping term. The Bible says in verse number two that. God will not impute iniquity. God does not impute iniquity on us. In other words, God takes the ledger and wipes it clean. I, uh, I just had my taxes done. And all those that got a refund, you're welcome. <laughs> You got some of my money, alright? <laughs> but I want you to know that it's a wonderful thing when someone can just wipe out your debt. They can just wipe out what you owe. Well, the Bible says God does not impute iniquity on us. And by the way, look at these words. In verse number 1, you find the word transgression. Transgression. In verse number one, you find the word sin. In verse number two, you find the word iniquity. They are all words for the same thing. One means to be in rebellion against God, the word transgression. The word sin means to miss the mark. The word iniquity means to be twisted, to be twisted on the inside. And so because we have rebelled against God, because we have missed the mark, because we are twisted on the inside, the Bible says we need our sin covered. A blessing in that. A blessing. Oh, I love it when the church stands and sings. Jesus paid it all. Sin had left a crimson spot But Jesus washed it white as snow. And so we find that the sin problem can be relieved when we go to the Lord and get the blessing of forgiveness. Let's move on, all right? Number two. Secondly, the cover up of sin brings discipline. The cover up of sin brings discipline. It doesn't matter how much you try to cover it up. You can't quite get it done. I heard uh, recently an interview by former President Bill Clinton. It's the most honest interview I think I ever heard from him. He he just kind of laid it all out. And really it was Bill and Hillary both and they were just talking about this thing called sin that happened while he was president, in the Oval Office, in the White House. now I want you to know that whatever it is, whatever form it takes, we all have these things that we have to deal with, and the problem is, when you got sin in your life, it's the cover-up. <clears throat> it's trying to cover it up. Ronald Reagan, the great president, said this, Tell it to the people quickly. Be honest. Get it out there. Get it out there and God would say the same thing. God would say, don't cover it up. Confess it quickly. Now look at this. Verse number 3. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Now, as far as the cover-up goes, Someone said said it very wisely. said, confess it and you will be blessed. Conceal it and you will be disciplined. In David's life, David paid the price, didn't he? Let's think about David. When kings go out to war, David didn't go out to war, did he? He's on the roof of the palace. David looks over there and He sees Bathsheba. So David conspires, goes through a tragic scheme, gets Bathsheba. They have an adulterous affair. Bathsheba, of course, conceives. David then tries to cover up this sin. Sends Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, out to the front lines by proxy has him killed. And so David has committed adultery, he's lied, been a proxy to murder, on and on and on, trying to conceal his sin. Does God God let David go? No. God puts pressure on David in such a way that David says, my body is wasting away and finally Ultimately, God sends a prophet, Nathan, to David and tells a story and a parable and he's confronted and Nathan says, man, you're the guy. You're guilty. So David goes from trying to cover his sin to confessing. Sin brings physical suffering. Uh, This verse number 3, it's obvious. David says... My body is wasting away. In the New American Standard Bible, this verse number 3, you find the word groaning. He says, through my groaning all day long. Have you ever had a physical ailment and you groaned about it? Ever had an ingrown toenail and you groaned about it? Ever had a toothache and you groaned about it? I going to tell you, I remember one of the hardest things to do as a parent. is when you take your child in. Your child has something wrong and the doctor has to do something and it's painful. I, I remember Kendra, our daughter, had ingrown toenails. So I would take her in. And I, I don't know why I did this instead of Pam. But anyway, I, I took her in. She's there at the pediatrician. That toenail is just kind of curled in there. And and the pediatrician says, I'm going to have to cut the toenail off. And so they go up underneath that toenail with a needle and deaden it. Now, the first time, not too bad. Then he looked over there and said, I've got to do the other toe. Then she knew what was coming. Lay my body over her. Screaming, groaning. This, this word that you find here in verse number 3, groaning, literally means roaring like a lion. It means to roar. David said, man, not only am I hurting, I'm, I'm groaning, I'm roaring like a lion. That's what it is when you have the physical pain that sin can bring. Sin just plain out makes you sick. Well, Also, there's spiritual suffering though. Verse number 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Years ago, I did this several different times. I did these things called church directories. We had not had one since 2009 around here. You know why? They're a pain to do. They're just agony. Nobody wants to do it. I volunteered, but I can't get anybody else to say yes. So anyway, we still don't have one, but but you know what's sad? Look through those church directories and you say, well, there's someone that used to be... There's someone that used to do this. There's someone that used to have this testimony. You and I know that there are those who used to be great for God, but something happened, didn't it? Verse number 4 happened to them. That is, their spiritual vitality was drained away. We need to guard ourselves lest that happened to us that someone or something can take our spiritual vitality away. I preached one time, I still remember this, I preached a sermon one time. And, and you know, when I got done preaching that sermon, I thought, God, that was like a plane crash. <laughs> I mean, it, it just didn't seem to get off the page. It didn't hit. It didn't connect. It didn't communicate. I mean, it was like... And I was trying to pull it up, pull it up, but man, that thing crashed into the ground. I was walking outside the church and I had my head down. My dear friend, Grady Branham. Oh, Grady put his hand on me. And he said, Get your head up, preacher. And I said, God, thank You for sending Him to me today. Get your head up. What happened is that Satan had stolen my joy. Satan had taken away the thrill of preaching and my spiritual vitality was drained away. And there are those out there that would steal your joy. There are those out there that would try to take away the thrill of your salvation. Don't you let them do it keep your spiritual vitality. Well, let's move on. Number 3. Number 3, the confession of sin brings forgiveness. And that's verse number 5. Look at verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now look at this. David does two things here. Number one, he acknowledges his sin. Verse number 5, I acknowledged. That's a beginning point. I want you to look over in your Bible to Psalm chapter 51 again. Look at chapter 51, verse 4. Psalm 51, verse 4. Now look at what David says here. Psalm 51.4 Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David says there, God against you. You only I have sinned. David says, God ultimately I have sinned against you. And so when you and I acknowledge our sin, it is ultimately against God. Against God that we have sinned. Well, then, back in verse number five, David confesses. Like the prodigal son, he came to himself. Verse five, he says, God, I'm confessing, I acknowledge, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And so, David says, God, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Have you noticed how many people go to court and say not guilty? And then before it's over with, they do this thing called a plea bargain. I said, well, I'm really not guilty, but I'm going to plead guilty. And I want to tell you, I've not been in that situation, but I think knowing me, there would be a fight. You know, I, I may go down, but I'm going to go down swimming. I, I remember in high school, as far as I can remember, I got in two fights in high school. One, I started high school as a freshman, and the guy sitting right in front of me, his name was Donnie Lopp. L-O-P-P. Donnie Lopp. Donnie just hauled off and hit me for no good reason. Just clobbered me. And so I'm sitting there thinking, if I don't do something, He's going to do this again. So I just picked up a desk and put it over the top of His head. (laughs) You know what? He never bothered me again. That was it. In fact, we were best friends after that. Kind like Opie and Johnny Paul. We were best friends after that. Now the second fight I was in didn't turn out quite as good. Um, some guy named Victor was picking on my good friend Donnie Locke. Now I'm a senior in high school and I told Victor, I said, you leave him alone. And Victor left him alone and came after me. And so He picked me up, turned me upside down, dropped me on my head. next thing I knew, I'm laying on the ground thinking, it's a strange time to take a nap. (laughs) I want to tell you something. When it comes to sin, man, go down swinging. When it comes to what you are and your integrity, man, if you're guilty, say I'm guilty. But if you're innocent, you go down swinging and go down fighting. All right, I got to move on. We're going to run out of time. Number four. The cure for sin is discovered through prayer. Now, look at this in verse six and seven. Verse six. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely, in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. Look at verse 7. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Let me just tell you two things there. Number one, you must seek the Lord. Again, years ago, churches were known for this thing called being seeker friendly. No one, no one will ever seek for God unless they're moved to do so by the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God moves you, then you're going to seek God. Prodigal son, I believe, came home, yes, but I believe the Spirit of God had to do a work there. God must woo and court and convict and bring us to the Lord. Also, verse number 7 says, when we come to Him, when we pray to Him, we find a hiding place. I got a text message from Becky Barkley. Becky said when we prayed for her last week, she said, Richard, as you were praying, I felt the arms of God just going around me. And I thought, God, that's what prayer is. We feel the arms of a holy God just give us that hug Have you ever felt that holy hug from God? Man, you pray and He becomes your hiding place and you find shelter in Him and you just feel the arms of God wrap around you. All right, let's move on. Number five. Number five. The counsel about sin is essential. That's verses 8 and 9. Look at verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as a horse or as a mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. <laughs> Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Now, in verses 8 and 9, one commentary said, God's talking about animal farm here. <laughs> He's saying, don't be like a horse or a mule. Don't be stubborn. Don't be like those animals that have no understanding. In fact, those animals, you've got to put a bit in their mouth, a bridle on them to control them. But what it's saying here, it's saying, they don't want to come near to God. Don't be like that. He's saying that the counsel here is a shift. God is talking directly to David saying, I want to counsel you.
1: God is saying to sinners,
0: I want to help lead you to my forgiveness. John Piper says this, Protection with direction. Care with counsel. That is the happy condition of the person who prays to God and receives forgiveness for his sins. Alright, here we go. Number six. Alright, last thing. Boy, what a way to end. It's party time. (laughs) Celebration concerning sin rejoices the heart. Let's look at verse 10 and 11. Verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Now I'm I'm not condoning this and I'm not advocating for this. Let me just tell you a story real quick. Two different times. I went out to a pastor's conference in Panorama City, California. Grace Community Church. went to John MacArthur's <coughs> church out in Sun Valley, Panorama City out there. Burbank area. And I went to this pastor's conference and something that intrigued me was This thing called church discipline. They were having part of the conference was dealing with church discipline. And what the conference was about was that there needs to be some teaching on how the church deals with sin. We all know that sin is all around us because sinners are all around us. And I remember Pastor John MacArthur there saying this. He said, when they have communion, He said, we have a public altar call to pray for those who are going through sin in their life. And He said, the church mourns. The church has a time of mourning because of the spiritual plight of those people. Now, I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. We are a people today that simply doesn't mourn and (coughs) grieve and we're not broken over sin like we should be. I would agree with that. But after the mourning, there ought to be celebration. After the grieving, after repentance, there ought to be joy. But there's never celebration until there's confession. There's never celebration until you deal with the sin problem. Augustine, a great writer and early church father, Augustine said the beginning of knowledge is to know oneself to be a sinner. That's the beginning of knowledge. Verse number 10 says we need to trust in the Lord. Verse number 11 says be glad in the Lord. In 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, it says if we confess our sins, He is both faithful and just and righteous to cleanse us from our sin, all unrighteousness. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, what a, what a song! Uh, what a joy, God, to plow through this wonderful writing through the inspiration of God uh, through David who dealt with the sin problem. God, I'm glad that David kept His Word. That He gave instruction on how to deal with sin. Father, I pray for First Baptist Church in Columbia. I pray for Richard Humphreys as a member there. God, we can mourn and grieve over sin. God, show us that it was sin, my sin, our sin, that nailed, Father, Your one and only Son to a cross. And because of that great price for sin, God, we ought to take it serious. And so God, give us... A desire to be holy as You're holy. Give us a desire to stand for the truth. God, it's not just an error. It's not just a mistake. It's not just a lifestyle. God, it is what You say it is. It is sin that nailed Your Son to a cross. God, help there to be celebration and joy after forgiveness. And Father, I thank You once again for the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus in whom we have salvation. Amen and Amen.